Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, A few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Marty? I'm good. I have a little bit of a scratchy throat, but nobody panic. It does. It's, it's just one of those things. And if I go <coughs> during this podcast, don't worry. I'm good. How are you? I'm going to worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to worry about it. What well, was that noise should. again? <coughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I'm having flashbacks to that show. Um the last of us but i won't give any spoilers i'll just tell you i'll give one spoiler (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) Uh, a very um ambiguous spoiler Mm -hmm. yeah um now that you said you had a scratchy throat now i've got an itchy everything especially scalp it's like okay the is it one of those things where when you hear about itch itches you get itchy everyone gets itchy Absolutely. And God forbid you should think about itching while you're meditating. Oh, God. Six months of unbearable itching once. Oh, now my and nostrils it, you can't are not itching. do it. Now you're, not, you're just going to be scratching like a monkey through the whole thing. That's okay. Eh, oh, well. That's okay. You'll figure it out. Yeah. What are you trying <laughs> to figure out? Oh, Lord. I, um, I am so codependent, Ro. I am ridiculously codependent. And here's why. Here's for why this week. I just went to the dentist who replaced, I had a cracking molar in the very back of my face and uh, she put in a crown. I have been crowned mm-hmm. on my molar. Mm-hmm. And and they make it at the dentist, they like file your tooth down, then they make a new one and stick it in. And then they say, bite down, how does that feel? And I bit down on what felt like the rock of Gibraltar. Like, what did you jam into my gums, woman? That's what I wanted to say, but I didn't say that. I said, it feels a little big. And she's like, no problem. Brings out her drills. How's that? Um, still kind of much. How's that? It's still too big. So like 
10 times this happened. And the whole time I'm thinking, how many times can I make this woman do the same job? Now she's just thinking, I'm an excellent dentist. I like it to be perfect. I'm thinking, this is the 10th time. I can't, this can't go on. (laughs) So when it was still a little big, I just decided I can live with that. I'll live with eternal discomfort rather than But um, I got used to it it. so easily, um, (laughs) probably at the cost of throwing off my entire bite or something. And I just, I could not say one more time, go back into my tiny, tiny mouth that they (laughs) have to use pediatric instruments (laughs) to work on and file down this normal sized tooth until it is like my tiny, tiny head. Couldn't. That reminds me of that thing where I've probably talked about it before, but you know, where you're talking to someone and you can't understand what they've said and you say, sorry, and then you still don't understand it. And then you say, sorry, one more time. And then you're in, you're just up shit creek. Like there's what, what can you do? But guess whether it sounded like a question. Mm, mm. Mm, Me too. Or like, yeah, or a uh, complaint. Oh, did you? You know, like you don't know. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm flashing back to meeting this Italian woman on the beach when I was like 12. And I told her I lived in Utah. And she said, she kept saying, Utaleka. And I was like, Utaleka? I don't understand. She was trying to say Utah, Utah Lake. Utah Lake, yeah. And I, I, that scarred me. I had never, I lived in Utah. I'd never met someone who didn't speak English. <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, now you've brought it back, and I'm going to need some serious work on myself to get past that one. Yeah, we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up after the podcast. How's what that? are you trying to figure out? I, this is lame. I'll just uh. tell you, this is a bit lame. But, you know, sometimes those fun thoughts you have as a teenager, oh, this is going to be one of those things you don't relate to, Marty. Um, when you, oh, I'm just thinking of all the reasons this is so wrong. Sometimes I forget that I'm in a foreign culture and uh, anyway, just say that like someone as a teenager discovered weed and, and, um, the kinds of thoughts that go along with smoking weed. There were weeds in Utah. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) In the lecker. (laughs) Um, so last night I'm walking past our daughter's, uh, bedroom door and she's counting in there and she counted she counts to 10 brilliantly i don't want to brag too much but her one to 10 is even if there's only there are only three things she will count them to 10 yeah (laughs) she will um but she she was in her own space in privacy Mm. just pushing her her limits a little bit and um after 10 immediately came and i quote lft <laughs> and that which sense. makes perfect sense, but totally. it was like L15, and I suddenly got transported back to those kind of stoner days and stoner thoughts. And I was like, <laughs> "What if there could be extra numbers in between <laughs> the numbers that we know about, and just no one's no one's." thought of it yet and what could we do with all those extra numbers like if we knew about them and could harness them for good oh, in the world amazing. I mean we just have more we could make machines we could make yeah. things yeah. if we had those extra numbers in between the other numbers whoa man <laughs> I thought you were going to say that she was counting like an Australian because I find this absolutely <laughs> charming dare so, you you y'all count to 10 and I think you say 11 in the normal way but First of all, they, we don't say y'all, we say use. 
use, okay, then use go into this. 13, 14, 15, and then 16, 17, 18. And you've got three D sounds mm -hmm. in the teen mm -hmm. category. Mm -hmm. And I've heard other Australians do that. I find it charming and quaint <laughs> in a in a very condescending kind of way. Yeah, no, I can I can really feel that condescension coming through. Could you, could you um, count, count for us? All right. <laughs> and I don't see anything wrong with this, by the way, but interestingly, I'd never noticed it before you brought this up. 11. Yes. 12. So yes. far, so good, right? Yeah, 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 I'm with you. 13. <laughs> 14. <laughs> 15. Getting there. 16. There you go. It actually, the, 16, the 17. I think the 16 got a bit of a D on it that time. 16, no, 17, kind of, 17, 17. It's 17. Like the D grows up into a T as you oh. go forward. <gasps> These things that happen when you're down there in the Southern Hemisphere. Ah, many it's years. amazing. Oh. You just have to, they, they had to ship some of their consonants overboard. They'd throw consonants <laughs> overboard during a sea crossing. <laughs> that must have been it. That must have been it. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favourite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And um, a review would be also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass and we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your north star let's get to our topic du jour very good if you don't idea. mind well once again we're doing a anxiety related topic mm -hmm. um for good reason because yeah. it's bloody relevant to all of us <laughs> all the time because it's freaking an anxious time and and yes. i thought that uh, what we might talk about today is anxiety in the culture and like what what what's going on there? Why is the culture so anxious? That's mm. my question. Now you yeah. get to answer it. Congratulations, Martha Beck, and take it away. Well, the culture is anxious because individuals are anxious and mm -hmm. we always try to control things when we get anxious. And so we create structures socially 
that are about controlling things. And basically, all the structures, organizations, and institutions of society sort of follow the anxiety that's emerging in individuals. Yeah? Right. Right. And when we, when we, um, when we feel anxious, we want to control something. We want to control yes. everything. And yeah. so that's what our culture is, is comprised of anxious people wanting to control things. Yeah, but the irony is it doesn't work. The more you control and the more control-based you are, the more you create things that cause anxiety. Let me give you an example. I had a client once who went to high school in an inner city school that where there was it was very dangerous, like a lot of the students. Well, he said everybody was so scared. We all carried weapons because we didn't know when we would have to defend ourselves. So then the school administrators, realizing that everybody had knives and things, said, we're going to make this so much safer. We're going to control these students by putting in metal detectors and having armed guards at every door. And my client just kind of looked at me and goes, you know, funny thing, that did not make me feel like I was in a safer place. Hmm. It made me more anxious. So that's the way the spiral goes. We try so hard to control everything. And in our very efforts to control, being controlled is scary. Having an armed guard looking at you is scary. So control gonna need, itself. Going to need some more weapons to feel exactly. safe again. Exactly. Which is, to me, like such a great metaphor for America mm. and how America um, – the, the, this absolutely utterly bizarre culture of of guns and if the guns aren't working we need more guns and if yeah. if, if people are still getting shot it's because we don't have enough guns and we need guns in more guns guns in schools let's get put more guns in schools that'll yeah. solve it um it's just it's so weird it's like you're not safe you don't feel safe mm-hmm. so you add something that makes you less safe, Mm -hmm. which makes you feel less safe, which makes you add something that makes you less safe, that makes you feel. Exactly. And it's so interesting hearing non-Americans' perspectives on this because America is such a gun culture that I kind of grew up being used to it. But then talking to people from other countries, they're like, you people are crazy with the guns like what is it about you and guns and we're like i don't know i've just watched eight thousand murders on tv by the time i'm 12 so founding I I fathers need founding fathers we Sorry, may be getting get... trouble from pro-gun people out there but i don't think there's too many in our they could shoot us, not anymore then... <laughs> <laughs> Bye, love so the whole you. thing Bye. did you see how i just had a fear reaction yeah oh my gosh the, they are armed and they're coming for us what can we do oh could i change the way i'm talking about this could we cut this out to control their effects their mm. their reactions so they don't hurt us and now they're controlling me and that is going to make me feel less safe because i've always got a guard against them mm. it's this is the way the brain works and then it goes out and it can it can swallow the whole world like it did in the arms race during well it's ongoing arms race but it really started right after world war ii and you know going to elementary school i was hiding under my desk to protect myself from an atomic bomb yeah and and the amazing thing about that time is that both the united states and and its you know its friends and and the ussr and its friends were developed and made and hoarded enough nuclear weapons to completely destroy the entire planet so many times over but they just kept adding them which is the same sort of psychosis yeah of um oh no we can only destroy the world 19 times no no we can do it 25 times we win yeah i believe we can destroy this entire planet 
Oh, for 25 sure. times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just need the right attitude. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because it's like the, the way that there's always this thread of maybe if we bought something, maybe <laughs> right. any, I don't care what's wrong with you, uh-huh. scared, mad, happy, bored. Have you considered buying something? Have you considered buying a new shirt or a nuclear weapon? Like, it's it's the metal detectors in the yeah. school. We and felt. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. We felt scared. Yes. So we bought things. Yes. Right. We yeah. we bought another knife. Yes. Because we felt scared. A big. A I'll show you a knife. I'll show you a knife because we don't have any guns. <laughs> we just got really big knives because we're so different from Americans. Um, yeah, so then it's like it's like retail therapy for your anxiety but with assault weapons right? <laughs> or nuclear totally. weapons. It's so funny but, you know, like what's fascinating to not to be always the one who goes capitalism, capitalism, but, you know, the war economy, like so the Second World War, the war economy was amazing. It's what created the 1950s mm-hmm. was making a ton of, you know, the, the prosperity of the 1950s in the States. Uh, and in the Western world, if you want to use that, mm-hmm. um, after the war was war economies are good. You know, they make yeah, us rich. Yeah, and so let's, rich. okay, so just the fact that we don't actually technically have a war anymore, don't worry about that. We have, what this is, is it's a cold, it's a chilly mm, war. Yes. It's like, so, so don't just buy weapons. Also buy a coat, <laughs> buy a big hat. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's just so it's, bonkers. It's a war economy all the time. It is. And it's primordial. I mean, it obviously makes me think of squirrels. Um, of course. Because squirrels, part of the response to uh, a fear thing for a, an animal that is a forager is to hoard. Hoard, yeah. So squirrels hoard huge amounts of acorns and they actually fail to rediscover a full 80% of the acorns they bury. Mm-hmm. But in so doing, they create forests. Um, yeah, see, so we created a whole economy by by buying more guns. Yeah, huh? and then we plant all our atomic weapons and yeah, so it that grows they can a... No, grow up into quite. mushroom clouds. Oh, yeah. depressing. Oh, God, there it goes. It's making me anxious. So, you know, the, the kind of question that I always like to try and figure out when we have these conversations is, like, how does... So how does a, 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 an anxious person populous group mm-hmm. of people um cre- like shore up or reinforce um a a culture like why why does the culture want us anxious is what i'm trying to say it's almost like there's this little feedback loop because we're anxious one of the th- rules of anxiety is stay anxious or you won't be safe so if you're not on guard all the time you won't be safe so we in a weird way that f- part of all our brains wants the culture to control everything and then the culture becomes something that wants to control us and anxious people willingly submit to control so as so the so the culture as though it's an entity but you know it's made up mm. of all of us we know this but like so the culture knows that if we individually feel anxious we will more willingly let it control us yes and then it can yeah you okay. trade autonomy for protection. Mm. Um, I mean, if you look at like the feudal system in Europe or the samurai system even in, in Japan, there will be a lord and he has swords and the, the right to kill everybody. And then below him are the people growing the rice or the barley or whatever. And the peasants, whatever they call that, they willingly support the guy in charge because he's the one with the sword who's going to 
you know, fend off the enemies and keep everyone safe. But they are controlled by him, and he's at the top, and he's controlling everything. Then you get maniacs. They're at the also top. feeding him. <laughs> exactly. They do yeah. everything for him. The, everybody wants to be safe, and we try to do it by control, and we give control to the most controlling people who have mm. the weapons of control, and then we feel safe for a minute, mm. but not for very long. Because we're got in the weird, weird fear leads to control, leads to fear, leads to control, upward spiral of anxiety on a societal level. That's so wild. So the even if we are made more safe by this control, it doesn't necessarily lead to us feeling more safe. So true. Right? Because of the way our brains are structured. Yep. So the feeling of safety doesn't always follow the reality of safety. So then if we start to feel unsafe, we can be further. Oh, it's just. It's nuts. So I am immediately reminded of an experience I once had in South Africa with you at Londolozi where we there was someone there that we met who was had come, she lived in LA, she'd come to South Africa for a safari and she couldn't sleep at night because she was staying awake with her phone, checking her home security system in LA, going from room to room to room, checking that no one was breaking into her house while she mm -hmm. was away. And I'm saying there were lions walking by outside her room. <laughs> Not that she was in danger from those, but no, like no. I'm saying it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. She was both safe and in an environment environment where things could have, like she needed to do things to remain safe in her environment, but she wasn't considering the environment she was in. Mm. The environment in her head was her house where the, the, the creatures and the villains were breaking in nonstop to the point where, and, and by watching it on her phone, she could fend this off, obviously. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It's so weird, but it's such a great image of anxiety like in the middle of the night just watching watching yeah. watching and also by the way home security system app on your phone video mm. doorbells alarm systems security and retail therapy secure yep. secure therapy yeah, security therapy and, and doom scrolling listen to this doom it'll keep you we'll all be safer if we all share this terrifying information about what might happen or you know it's just this allegiance we have to the idea that fear mm. is the root of safety and fear yeah. only creates more fear. I mean, wait, wait, there's a healthy fear. If she'd said, oh my goodness, there are lions and leopards out there. I'll make sure that the you know, that I've the closed my door. Yeah. That's healthy fear. But staying up all night peering at your phone, thinking you can chase burglars away With by your magic mind. is just anxiety, yeah. What was the thing I always ask you to say this, and I never remember it myself, but about holding the plane in the air with your grip on the Oh, yeah. On it's the like I alone. It's from Irma Bombeck. She said, I alone in a plane full of sleeping passengers am keeping the jet in the air by pulling upward on the arms of my seat. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Like it's so funny because the more we think we're just rationally 
being, you know, oh, yeah. trying to fi- like finding safety and securing safety, the more ima- into magical thinking we get and the yeah. more we're like, I'll control it with the power of my mind, meaning I'll control the world with the power of my anxiety. When the reality is we're being controlled by the same anxiety all the time. I'm oh, sorry. I sound like a conspiracy theorist. No, so. no, no, you're, you're exactly right. And I'm going to put a tiny little bit of brain science in here. All of the anxiety stuff happens on the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain puts it in a context that says, wait, let's be here now. And it calms us down. But the left hemisphere has this weird quirk where it refuses to acknowledge the existence of anything outside itself. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it tells a story, it believes it without question, regardless of the data. And that's why, you know, we know people that we thought were really pretty stable who do their own personal development work and everything who like ran off to bunkers Mm. to wait for the apocalypse, you know? I mean, and they really, really believe it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so wild. It feels so truthy. It feels truthy, yeah, Yeah. it has the vibe of truthiness. So, Ro, where do you experience this in your own life? Where, so what do I do to feel safe? Yeah, where do you feel the the spin of anxiety and what how do you engage with with the economic structures and things of the culture in that makes you feel safe i think what but actually I feeds anxiety do is i um i do i do ultimately spend money but i <laughs> i in the actual thing of this is me being rational and rationally making myself safe Uh is I do online research and I, Mm. you know, I read reviews and I read consumer reports and all of that. And, you know, like it's, it's all, it's all uh, keeping anxiety at bay stuff. And I'm so grateful because you always get the most safe things and they really are safer, but I just feel safe all the time while you're going, oh boy, I know all the ways this could go wrong. So you like, you're the one doing the research. So you know all the dangers and I'm just like, what? That is safe? Thank you, Rowie. That is good. Yeah, that's true. Like I've considered all the alternative possibilities. And they're always there for you. Yeah, yeah. What about yeah. you? What do you do? Oh, but you do not take large handfuls of supplements every single day. Like Mul- I, do. I Multiple mean, times a day. Hello. I've seen I've seen the headlines. You know, mugwort is good for you. Eat more turmeric. I buy turmeric pills. I literally take turmeric in pill form is supposed to be good for you and that it, it adds up to literal handfuls of food items but in pill form yeah she has so many pills in her day and it's gonna keep me safe man yeah anybody absolutely. who takes as much fish oil as i do will live forever do you remember when we um when we were gonna buy a car and the uh-huh. whole thing about because obviously cars are such a big one about oh, safety yeah. in, in our society and um, so we we were we went to the showroom and this woman was explaining to us that this one car was so safe that if it got hit from the side, it would the way that it was structured on the inside. You know, I didn't. She sounded very. It sounded very truthy. Um, <laughs> it would actually make the car stronger <laughs> if it actually got T-boned. If someone in, offended you in traffic, this car would personally mess with their heads. Yeah. But hadn't you done the research, and that's why we were buying that car in the first place? <laughs> of course, I had. Of course. Then we went to the insurance people. Oh. And the insurance broker oh. had like a spiritual experience. I don't think it was spiritual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to go sound there. But... Spiritual. To me. 
He just, oh, as soon as we started describing the car we'd bought, he, <laughs> it's just like that car. It's, it's so <laughs> safe. It's, it's so safe. So safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so safe. He was very happy about that. And that's not a bad, I mean, it is, we bought the car. It's, yeah. it's good. But if, but I have to say, I don't always feel when I'm, you know, hurtling along the New Jersey Turnpike, I don't always, I'm, I'm aware of it, you know, yeah. I'm aware of being a little person in space. And I'm aware that like whatever car you're in, yeah. it's when you're going fast and you hit something, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait. Go back. Um, yeah, and we know that. And um, it's so funny that they used to think that human physiology could not tolerate speeds over 13 miles an hour because that was as fast oh. as a sailing ship could move and nothing moved that fast. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's great that as things get faster, we get more safety guidelines and when the cars get safer and safer and it's all wonderful. Until it turns your life into an obsession with controlling every variable of fear and you just live guided by this tiny crunch of fear in your bones, it makes your life horrible. Yeah. Guided by a tiny crunch of fear. So we're like making all our decisions based on this one sensation and yeah. a small, sen a, a tiny sensation in our bodies that's like, <gasps> and that yeah. becomes. <gasps> it's not so much a tiny sensation. It's a, such a massive sensation that it crunches us down into, into a tiny point that is only afraid. It like it winds us so tightly into our anxiety that we almost vanish from every other part of our lives. Oh, and that's interesting because that's not how I understood you when you said a tiny crunch of fear. Oh. I thought you meant that we would allow our entire lives to be guided and these huge decisions to be guided on us wanting to alleviate even the tiniest little crunch. Oh, um, you make that, a solid point. Because it's ultimately going to spiral into the big... It works either way. We react to the tiniest fears with huge reactions, and then we have huge reactions that lead us to our tiniest decisions, and everything is just fear, 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 anxiety, 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 broadcasting, replicating, fractaling itself into bigger and bigger societal institutions. Right, and, and then we aren't ever making decisions for ourselves or our families or our communities or whatever that are based on anything but anxiety. Yeah. And and also like this desire to alleviate the anxiety that you currently feel in your body. Like yeah. if I can just make this feeling go away, yeah. I'll sacrifice everything. <laughs> One more weird irony that's quickly is I've worked with so many people who, who are in, they grew up in houses where there was uh, an adult who was violent and so they had a terror of the world being violent, hmm. but they chose like partners or spouses who were violent because in a violent world, you need a violent person to protect you. So then they'd hmm. be, end up being the victims of violence in their homes, but they'd say, no, I'm going to stay with that person because that is the only way I can stay safe. It, it's the same insane um, logic, circular logic at all levels. It is. It is. It's absolutely fascinating and absolutely horrifying. So, all right. So I have a pretty good sense of that. How do we come <laughs> to our senses in this well, insane system? Well, obviously I have this completely figured out. Not. 
but I do ponder about it and I have some I have some thoughts and I'll tell you about them and you'll tell me about yours in a minute. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025, but I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star. All right. How do we figure it out? Figuring out the culture of anxiety and how to do better. Not a problem. You kind of have to start on the inside. You have to begin by being the first one who's willing to work with your whole brain instead of just the left side of your brain. Bringing in the right side, which is all about the present moment and um, feelings of connection and curiosity, that is meant to balance the fear side of the brain. And the fear side of the brain doesn't want to let go. But if we say consciously, we're going to go to a, a whole brain way of seeing, then um, we have a, we're off to a good start. Read Jill Bolte-Taylor's book. Right. So it's about like we're, we're in this culture that's so dominated by this one um, extreme sort of yeah. way of seeing things and, and you're talking about sort of integrating it. So it yeah. seems like there's two questions to me anyway and one mm -hmm. is like there's the moments where we personally are feeling anxious and how can we yeah. come to our senses in that sort of acute state of anxiety yeah. and then there's um, – you know, there's that sort of more general sort of thing that we talk about, like we're living in this culture. How do we live in this culture, which yeah. is anxious? So, you know, I think like I think a lot of we know a lot of the stuff about yeah. um, what to do when you're in that heightened state. The immediate things are physiological. You just you kind of fake the physiology of someone who's not anxious. So you take low, slow breaths, long, slow breaths. Um, you let your body shake or move because shaking is the way animals process adrenaline and cortisol that are um, secreted when we're in a fight flight state. The body wants to move and if we don't let it move, if we don't let it shake at least, that um, fear gets trapped in, in our bodies and it exhibits as long-term anxiety often. Yeah, Dancing. Dancing yeah. Is, is a huge one of that. Like I won't dance in front of other people but I'll dance by myself. Um, and I'm just realizing that that's the same sort of mechanism as shaking, right? Oh, absolutely. And I remember I once had a client who was a professional athlete and he was also really brilliant and also very, very anxious. And he would work out all day long. And then he would go to clubs that had the heaviest of heavy metal and he would do like headbanging dances. And I just thought, oh my God, that must be just wearing you down. But it took that level of noise and shaking and bashing and thrashing on the dance floor for him to channel all the adrenaline and other stress hormones that were constantly filling his bloodstream. You know, that so 
there are ways every culture does that some kind of dancing and shaking mm. Mm. but people in offices don't right like right. we don't go there yeah yeah, yeah. okay so, so once we've done those really immediate physiological things um you just you just drop into your sensory experience that that opens mm. the right side of the brain the whole brain Especially imaginative creativity that's not about danger. It's about maybe something fun in the future. And I've watched you do this. I've watched you use fun ideas about the future to sort of lighten a moment. I didn't even realize that that was an expression of creativity. It's oh, yeah. so amazing. So people who listen to this show a lot know I'm obsessed with van life. And recently <laughs> I've also added the like train exotic train travel to my list of enthusiasms and um so i can just i will gladly go off into fantasies about buying and restoring a van <laughs> she does the reason i'm laughing is that almost every day <laughs> she'll say something we'll just be sitting there and she's like, like karen's always the doom and gloom she's like oh my god do you know what's happening in xyz and or Z, and then we all get nervous and then rose says oh my gosh, this woman has the best van life and she just goes off into this. And we were sort of going through the ideas for the podcast and she, I said, well, you do creative imagination with van life. And she just went, oh, I want, and this is a quote, I want to talk about van life at some length. And now I'm going to do so. <laughs> I got so excited because I just van life, guys, van yeah. life. You know, you get in a van. It's so cute and you can decorate it yourself. Some people decorate it with rocks and crystals that they've found oh. along their journey <gasps> in the van. Well, okay, you're, you're talking me into this because, what? because what? you know, visual arts, decorating your van with crystals and being in nature. Like we co-evolved with trees and other animals and our nervous systems Sorry, really just, calmed down there. Just one, one sec before you go on to the yes. evolution thing. Yeah. So some people decorate their vans with like messages from people they've met on the road while they've been traveling in their van. Some have toilets, some don't. Do you remember actually the other night, Marty, that we, um, I had to, I felt like, because I'd, I'd had a night where I'd stayed up and watched quite a bit of YouTube uh, into the <laughs> yes, night uh, about van life. And I felt like I was at the point where I was almost cheating on Marty and Karen <laughs> with van life. And so I like felt like the next day that when we had like a sit down together, um, family time, I, I like said, listen, I, I've got to tell you something. The whole van life thing, it's like, I really mean it. <laughs> Like she it's, did. I'm at a new phase with it, and I just want you to know that at some point I see myself getting a van. She was, she had to make an announcement as mm -hmm. if she hadn't talked about it for an hour a day. <laughs> you know what I think we should do? We should get a van. You can decorate it with all the crystals you want, but then in <laughs> the passenger seat in the front, I will of course be lying down on the bed mm -hmm. because that's what I do mm. all day. But in the passenger seat will be the insurance man mm -hmm. from that insurance company going. Oh my God! It's so safe in here. It's so safe. I don't like it. Picture him in in my van. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, I'm actually. I don't think vans are that. I don't know how safe they are. Anyway, don't worry. But Marty, just imagine if you could lie down on a bed. Yes. In a van, going somewhere <laughs> while lying down. It's amazing. And right. it sounds a lot like homelessness. 
Um, say yeah. something about evolution or some shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anxiety culture, evolution. Ah, yes. You are going to be... Did you see the Blair Witch movie? What yes. was it called? Oh, my God, yes. Okay, that movie was made with, like, two sticks and eight dollars and it was basically a bunch of teenagers holding cameras to their mouths where while they went <laughs> oh, I'm so scared. I'm so, look at my stick oh i got another stick <laughs> there's and a people, stick tied to a stick tied to a stick <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> that's what your society is doing to you all the time it's like i've got two sticks and i'm in, in terror and you will feel, your huh. nervous system will tell you to get involved. Uh. You must, at that moment, at the moment you feel yourself sucked into mindless fear, you have to go, that is just a tiny crunch of fear and I'm not going to take the bait. Yeah. I, that is so freaking funny because I genuinely thought when you started talking about Blair Witch that you were going to try and segue into how nature is really good for calming us down. <laughs> and what we should really do if we're in anxiety is to, is to go out in the woods like the Blair Witch Project kids did. And I was so looking forward to seeing how you were going to spin that out. And I'm disappointed. I'm just grateful that you didn't immediately go to, I will drive a van into nature and I will well, stay there forever. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If they'd had a van. Yeah. They would have been better off. They would have been fine. No, it would have gotten to them in the van. It's not safe. They could have driven away. <laughs> That's the whole point. Traffic accidents. That is not as safe as our car. You could bump into a witch. But this is radically countercultural to say... Everybody around me is nervous. Mm. I, I I may choose not to join. So when we're talking about, so we talked about like a little, like acute anxiety and how to sort right, of manage right. that when we're individually in that state. But then there's the, the other question that I had for you was like, how can we resist anxiety culture generally and yeah. just the kind of return to our own nature as a way of life? Yeah, I think it begins with the sensation of being pulled off your own foundation by the anxiety around you because society is going to be the Blair Witch Project. It's going to keep revving up your fear and it will feel very true to you in some moments that you should join in. Because mm, we can't expect society to change. We can't expect no. this this perfect system <laughs> to... But if, if you can drop in, like that woman at, at in South Africa, if she just dropped in and said, okay... I'm in a room, it's safe, there are wild animals outside, there's nothing I can do about my house in LA, so I'm going to relax. That is the radically countercultural thing to do. Hmm. You know, I actually think that uh, here, as in a lot of the stuff we talk about, is that most of the battle is, to, is actually getting to that point of recognising where the culture is invisibly working on us. Like oh, absolutely. That that it's it's not even that there's so much a process once you know. It's more like it's mm. the it's the it's the process of learning to question the culture. So like it's all it's that's what we do on this podcast is is trying to make the invisible visible right. when it comes to these kind of messages that we get. And so, you know, in a way as a way of life, when you feel that tiny crunch of fear, it's it's like take a minute, question it. Am I sure that I'm not safe right now? 
right, from and burglars that, in LA. <laughs> exactly. And that's so brilliant because the very part of the brain that goes into fear, if you take a left right turn, if you take a right turn, it goes into curiosity. So there's this uh, psychiatrist named Judson Brewer who wrote Unwinding Anxiety, really good book. And one thing that he describes doing is taking really anxious clients in groups out into the woods with one of his colleagues, and they would wait, they would wait, and everybody was like really anxious. And then he and his colleague would both just look in the same direction and say, hmm. <laughs> and all of these anxious people would be like, what, what are you, what? And they would just say, hmm. And everybody would start going and looking and their anxiety would be gone. Because curiosity can't coexist with yeah, anxiety. curiosity steers you the other direction. So that that, am I sure I'm not safe right now? Is is a perfect segue into a whole brain experience yeah. that's more balanced. So we just got to keep asking questions. Uh huh. So and say, hmm, and <laughs> stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word wild to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.